text for this morning's sermon is James 1, the verses 12 to 18. James 1, beginning at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you face temptations in your life? Are there desires that live in your heart that are contrary to the law of God? Are there things in your life that at times are more important to you than God is? Do you have weak points where you're vulnerable to the attacks of the devil? If we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit that at times we're all tempted. We're placed in situations where we have to make choices and where the desires of our hearts lead us in a direction away from God. As the Bible says, temptations are common to man. Yet the question remains, Where do these temptations come from? Last time we saw how James encouraged us to count it all joy when faced with various trials in life. He makes it clear that trials are not just random events that happen to us. They come to us from God. We often struggle with that idea. We wonder how a loving God could allow us to undergo sickness and accidents, brokenness and sorrow. Yet James showed us how God has a purpose in allowing us to undergo trials and hardships. Through various trials, God is at work in us, forming and shaping us. He's teaching us to be steadfast in our faith, even through hard times. He's strengthening us and bringing us to a greater maturity. God uses trials for our good to build us up in our faith. But what about temptations? Since God is almighty and all things are under his control, can we say that temptations come from him as well? It's a really important question 
our perspective on the source of temptations will have a big impact on our walk with God. It's a big deal whether we consider temptations to come from God or not. For ultimately, it affects our overall perspective on who God is and on how he deals with us, his children. In answering whether or not God tempts us, we need to determine if God is truly good or if perhaps we can attribute evil to him in some way. This morning we're going to deal with the fundamental question of where temptations come from. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. When we're facing temptations, our gracious Father is for us and not against us. We'll consider how God is not the source of temptations, but how God is the overflowing fountain of all good. Not sure if you noticed or not, but my last sermon on James included verse 12. In that sermon, it was the last verse of our text, and in this sermon, it is the first verse of today's text. That doesn't happen often. Yet in this case, it's appropriate for James 1 verse 12 is a verse what links what comes before with what follows afterwards. James writes, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I'd like to note a few things about this verse. The first is that James pronounces a blessing on those who remain steadfast under trial. There is a present benefit to enduring trials. They strengthen our character They help us mature in the faith. There's also a future blessing to remaining steadfast in trials. We will receive the crown of life. God will allow those who persevere in the faith to share in the joy and glory of everlasting life. This reward is promised to encourage us to hold fast our faith even as we suffer hardships and adversity in this often broken life. There's one other thing about verse 12 that is critically important for us to note. We need to pay attention to how James describes the trials of life. He refers to them as tests. James says, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life. It's clear from James 1 that God brings trials into our lives. By means of various trials, God tests us. He uses trials to test the genuineness of our faith. To see whether or not we will turn to him and trust him when faced with hardships in our lives. The Bible makes it clear that God will at times test his people. Genesis 22 speaks about how God tested Abraham when he asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Abraham trusted God. He believed that if necessary, God could raise his son from the dead. And thus he was willing to offer up Isaac on the altar. 
God also tested Israel in the wilderness. When his people were hungry, God sent manna, bread from heaven. God wanted to see if Israel would obey his command and gather only enough for one day, trusting God would provide the next day again. Israel failed this test. Time and again, during their time in the desert, they showed an appalling lack of trust in God. While verse 12 of our text makes clear that God tests his people, verse 13 makes it clear God is not the source of temptations. James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We can conclude God tests us, but he doesn't tempt us. So what's the difference? In verse 12, the noun translated test can mean either a test, a trial, or a temptation. In verse 13, when James refers to being tempted, the same Greek word is used in a verbal form. It can mean to put to the test, to tempt, or to try. What's meant depends on the context. So the Greek itself doesn't provide us with an answer to the question of whether or not God tempts us. The same Greek word is used to refer to the testing of God and the temptations of the evil one. The Bible makes clear how the same word to test or to tempt is used in different contexts. John 6.6 refers to how Jesus tested Philip. And Hebrews 11.17 shows how God tested Abraham. Yet the same word is used in Matthew 4 verse 1 to refer to Jesus being tempted by the devil. And in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5 to refer to the devil as the tempter. Sometimes the same event can be both a test and a temptation. 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1 says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Yet 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 says the Lord incited David to do this. Coming from, from Satan, it was a temptation. Coming from God, it was a test. So how are we to distinguish between tests and temptations? Why does our text so emphatically say that God himself never tempts us? To answer this question, we need to understand the intent behind any test or temptation. When God tests us, his goal is to prove the genuineness of our faith, to strengthen us in our faith and trust in him. When Satan tempts us, his goal is to attack us and to weaken our faith. God tests us in order to refine us, to purify us, to help us grow in maturity. Satan tempts us to lead us into sin, to bring us under his dominion in order that he may devour us. Thus we see that although God may allow us to be put to the test, 
even though he may permit Satan to tempt us, God always has our best interests at heart. Thus far, we made a distinction between God testing and Satan tempting. But, beloved, that doesn't tell the whole story. You see, it's not just Satan who tempts us. The Bible teaches us that we have three mortal enemies, the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. It's really important to emphasize that. Satan and his evil spirits are not involved in every temptation that confronts us in life. There are many things in this world that tempt us. And we're not just tempted by bad things like abusing alcohol or drugs or desiring sex with someone who is not our spouse. At times we covet the good things that our neighbor has. Their success, their appearance, their health, or their prosperity. What our text makes clear is that all temptations find their root in our sinful desires. James focuses on that. After stating that God doesn't tempt us, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. With the fall into sin, our hearts became evil. We confess that by nature, we are totally corrupt. Our sinful heart is like a polluted well. Out of it stream all kinds of sinful desires. Jesus addressed this with what he said in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23. He said, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, I know some of you will be thinking that we are no longer depraved sinners, and I agree. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us, He changes us from the inside out. Our conversion is an awesome work of God in which he turns the direction of our lives away from evil and towards him. And yet, beloved, even as redeemed and renewed Christians, we face an ongoing battle against sin and temptation. More and more, we need to put to death the old nature and to put on Christ. While in Christ, we are a new creation we still struggle to live consistently holy and God-pleasing lives. Let's take a closer look at how we're tempted. James tells us that we are lured and enticed by our own desires. The words he uses are taken from the language of fishing. You want to catch a fish, you do so by dragging a tempting lure in front of it. Often the fish will not bite immediately. Yet as a fish follows the lure, it's enticed by its movement. It causes the fish to strike. Too late, the fish realizes that instead of getting a free lunch, it's being caught. And beloved, 
The same applies to us. Each temptation involves both external and internal factors. It includes the situation of life around us and also the thoughts of our minds and desires of our hearts. Let me give some examples of how we can be tempted by the things that we encounter around us. A TV commercial advertising some brand of beer or rum or whiskey can entice someone who struggles with alcohol to begin drinking. A beautiful woman can easily turn into an object rather than a person by letting her body preoccupy your thoughts. At times we are tempted in pressurized situations. When your friends egg you on to do something you'd rather not. Or when your mom or dad nags at you and you're tempted to mouth them off. Or when you get that credit card bill and you know you don't have money to pay for it. Many of us deal with stress in unhealthy ways. We withdraw. We avoid the issues facing us in life. We indulge ourselves in sinful ways, trying to relieve the pressure, or at least find some enjoyment in life. When facing pressure and stress, we're liable to give in to various temptations. Many people fight against temptations by trying to avoid them. There's wisdom in that. If you're an alcoholic, you're not helping yourself by meeting friends at a bar, even if your intent is only to order a Coke. Someone who struggles with pornography isn't doing himself any favors by spending time alone in front of a screen. Yet, beloved, it's impossible to run away from all sources of temptation. As long as we live in this world, we'll be tempted by various things. I've detailed some of the external factors that may lead us into temptation. And yet often tempting objects and pressurized situations are not enough to get us to fall into sin. Temptation also works from the inside. From the thoughts that reside in our brain, from the desires that live in our hearts. Often what Satan does is he calls into question what God has said. He twists God's word to make us doubt whether what the Lord has promised is really true. He scatters half-truths in our minds and so perverts our understanding of who God is and of all he's done for us. Just think of how Satan tempted Eve in paradise. He twisted God's words. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan cast doubt in Eve's mind about God's faithfulness. You will not surely die. He scattered half-truths in Eve's mind and awoke desire in her heart. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. With Eve, the main battle was not with the physical thing, with that fruit hanging from the tree. She'd walk straight past it many days while tending the Garden of Eden. The main battle was with what went on within her. With a doubt Satan planted in her mind, 
and the desires he awoke in her heart. The same is true of the people of Israel, about whom Paul writes in the first part of 1 Corinthians 10. The Lord delivered his people from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God showed them his power in the plagues he brought upon the Egyptians. He revealed his might to the Israelites in bringing them across the Red Sea and drowning Pharaoh and his army in the midst of it. And yet Israel doubted God's faithfulness. When the Lord tested Israel to know what was in his people's hearts, they failed again and again. The people's basic problem was that they did not know the Lord and they didn't trust in him. Love of the consequences of falling into temptation can be severe. For Adam and Eve, their sin resulted in being expelled from the Garden of Eden, of coming under God's curse. For the Israelites whom God delivered from Egypt, the result of falling into temptation was that God punished many of them with death and that he did not allow that generation to enter the promised land. For us, James says that sinful desires give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. James knows that when we fall into sins, there is opportunity for us to repent and to be restored in our relationship with God. Yet he warns that giving in to temptation is often the first step leading us into unrepentant sin and ultimately to condemnation. In our text, James wants us to take personal responsibility in dealing with temptations. We cannot blame God when we fall into temptation. We're inclined to do that. We think that since God is the one who made us with desires in our hearts, it's his fault that we act as we do. At times we blame God for putting us in a lousy situation and for not getting us out of it. When we're tempted and fall into sin, we excuse ourselves because, well, we just couldn't help it. Implicitly, we think God is to blame for our fall. James teaches us different. God doesn't tempt us. When tempted, we're lured and enticed by our own sinful desires. We've got to stop blaming God and take responsibility for our own sins. Until we do, we're not really in a situation to effectively battle against temptation. So far in our sermon, we've seen that God is not the source of temptations. In our second point, we'll consider how God is the overflowing fountain of all good. One of the main things that James teaches us in our text is that God is good and that he loves to give good gifts to his children. Instead of being deceived into thinking that God is behind various temptations, James wants us to know God as he really is. He wants us to know that God is good and the giver of good gifts. James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Literally, our text says that all generous giving and every perfect gift is from above. It's not only that God himself is good, he's also the source of all good things. Think of God's grace. It is the unmerited goodness of God out of which flow forth all his gifts. In our text, James describes God in a rather unique way. He calls God the Father of lights. On the one hand, this is a reference to the fact that God is the creator of heaven and earth and all that's in them. God created light. He made the sun, moon, and stars as light bearers. Yet on the other hand, the Bible often connects light with goodness and darkness with evil. Evil flourishes in the dark, in secret. It always seeks cover, for it cannot stand the light of day. Contrast this with God. 1 John 1 verse 5 says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The fact that John calls God the father of lights is most appropriate. It fits the context so well. The origin of evil is in the darkness of our sinful hearts. Evil is found everywhere in this sinful world. Yet when we look up, and see the heavenly lights. We're reminded of the grace and of the goodness of God. Our text says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, not from below. Good gifts don't come from this world. They come from heaven, where God is. Please note, beloved, that James refers to God as our Father, God is not some impersonal being or power who may or may not act for our benefit. Through Christ, God has adopted us as his children, and he's promised us many good things. In Matthew 7, Jesus asked, Which of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Loving parents would never treat their children that way. Otherwise, their children might go hungry or starve or be bitten by a poisonous snake. Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? James not only stresses that God is the source of all good things, when he describes God as the Father of lights, he says that with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. From experience, we all know that created lights are subject to change. As the earth revolves around the sun, we go from dawn to the bright noonday to dusk, and then tonight, illuminated only by the moon and the stars. But God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
As James says, he is the one who does not change like shifting shadows. God is faithful and true. There's no variation. There's no change to his goodness. God is good. And he's consistently faithful in giving good gifts to his children. At the end of our text, James gives us an example of God's abundant goodness towards us. He writes, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Here, James describes the greatest gift that God could ever give to anyone, the gift of rebirth. Jeremiah calls this gift a new heart. When speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus calls it being born again. Paul calls it a new creation and regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The basic point is that our gracious and good God resolved not to leave sinners in their plight. He decided to give us new life, to turn our sinful hearts to him, that we may share in his grace and in all his good gifts. James explains how God accomplishes this in our lives. He gives new life by the word of truth. Peter elaborates, saying, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. It's through the gospel that God works faith in us by his Spirit. The gospel is the good news that Jesus suffered and died to pay for our sins. That he rose again to grant us new life in him. This is the good news that transforms people's lives. It brings us from out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. It brings peace and comfort and joy and hope. These are all gifts. God freely showers on those who are his. Beloved, if God is so good, so gracious, to take us from out of darkness and bring us into his marvelous light, we should not question his motives for allowing trials in our lives. If God is willing to transform our evil hearts, so that we're being conformed into the image of his Son, we should never think God would tempt us. God is not evil. There's nothing bad or sinful in him at all. God is good. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. When temptations come, they don't come from God. They come from Satan, from this world especially from our sinful flesh. When temptations come, we need to learn to put our trust and confidence in God, our Heavenly Father. 1 Corinthians 10, we read that God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. Instead, God will provide a way of escape. Now, beloved, that's not a license to live carelessly, 
to put ourselves in situations where we're prone to fall. If you drive along the very edge of a cliff, you can expect that at some time you're going to fall off of it. God does not promise to get us out of trouble if we intentionally seek it. So how does God provide a way of escape? We shouldn't think that God will always miraculously intervene on our behalf. God may, but that's not his normal manner of working with us. Often temptations come in a situation of hardship or adversity. God may not immediately deliver us from the struggles and sorrows of life, but he will help us endure through the midst of them. To help us stand strong in the face of temptation, the Bible points us to the Lord Jesus. He faced many severe temptations in his life. Yet our Lord did not give in to them. He did not fall into sin. And that gives us a very rich comfort. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 2.18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ can help us. For in the face of many severe temptations, he has stood firm against the devil's attacks. So how does God help us when we face temptations in our lives? Through the word, he gives us the comfort and assurance. We are his dearly loved children. The Bible reminds us of the gracious promises the Lord has made to us. God has not left us alone. He lives in us by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our battle against temptation and sin. And at any time, and in any circumstance, we can pray to God. We can draw near to the throne of grace, trusting God will grant mercy and help in our time of need. Beloved, temptations are common to man. In each of our lives, we will continue to be confronted with many temptations. To deal with them, we need to know that they don't come from God. They come from within us, from the desires of our sinful hearts. Yet praise be to God. He has begun a new work in our hearts that he has granted us rebirth through the redeeming work of Christ and the renewing work of his Spirit. The God who loved us so much that he bought us with the precious blood of his Son will also hold on to us when we face various temptations. He has promised the crown of life to all who love him. God is good and the overflowing fountain of all good. Praise him. Amen.